Hi, welcome to Chicana Code Switchers. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicanas in our master's program. We are also scholar practitioners in student affairs. This podcast is intended to provide insights into higher education with a focus on social justice and pláticas of student experiences. With that being said, let's start the show. So hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Chicana Code Switchers. Um, I am just recording. My co-host, Ariana, is still on the East Coast. But today we're live recording from the North Bay Women of Color Conference. And um, we're having here a panel. And we're going to be talking. Our episode is going to be about mothering in academia. So we have two returning guests and one new one. Um, and so we're going to have an opportunity for each one to introduce themselves and um, they can say their name, pronouns, um, any guest position, their educational trajectory, and a little bit about themselves. Hi, my name is um, Dr. Mariana Martinez or Mariana G. Martinez, whatever you want to call me. Um, her, she, ella, and I'm, I don't get guest position, but trajectory. Uh, I, oh my God, I blanked out. I already have the notes too. I have a bachelor's in Chicano Latino studies and Spanish from Sonoma State. I have a master's in education and uh, curriculum and instruction from the University of the Pacific. And I have my PhD from University of Illinois, uh, Urbana-Champaign in um, education policy. Hi, my name is uh, Patricia Kimrahal. Um, most people call me Profa because I'm a professor here. And uh, my educational trajectory is I have a BA in Social Sciences from UC Berkeley and a PhD in American Cultures from the University of Michigan. I've been a professor at Sonoma State University in the Department of Chickenex and Latinx Studies since 2003. And I have a little human aged six. Hi, is it still morning? Yes, buenos dias. Good morning, my name is Yolanda Ayala, um, her, she, ella, and um, I am a middle school and high school teacher for the Legacy Youth Project. Um, I graduated from Sonoma State um, with a BA in uh, Chicano Latino Studies and moved, went on to go to grad school um, for an MA in education and a teaching credential. I'm still finishing up some units that I need to accomplish because mothering in academia is tough. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. And then um, I'm here, this is kind of a full circle for myself being back. I'm currently in doing a master's in uh, education leadership. Um, it's the higher education leadership and administration pathway, so HEAL pathway at Fresno State. Um, and I, and uh, us, actually, we uh, founded the North Bay Women of Color Conference two years ago. So we're the first ones who um, started, and now it's kind of a great to come back all together and do this um, present in the conference that we all founded. And so um, we're going to start with... Um, the main topic, which is the episode is on mothering in academia. And what we, what inspired this um, episode 
was inspired by this anthology. So what anthology means is a collection of literary pieces such as poems and short stories. And so the book is Revolutionary Mothering, Love in, on the Front Lines, edited by Alexis Pauling Gubbs, um, China Martins, and Maya Williams, and also inspired by the Chicana Motherwork Collective. And they're a group of mujeres in higher ed um, who all came together and do a bunch of things and talk about what does mothering in academia look like. Um, and they have their own podcast as well, so uh, check them out. And so their, both of their goals was to amplify like what is the experience of mothering. And um, we come here today for our first question for our panelists. Um, to reflect on your experiences as a mother, what does it mean to be a mother? And how are those experiences shaped by your identity as a woman of color? I'm next to her, so I start. Um, so I am a mother. You all saw my little human. Um, he's actually a boy, and I clarify that because he has long hair, and I braided today because um, he was not tangled. <laughs> um, but I am a mother, a single parent of a four-year-old, and when I say single parent, I really do mean single parent. Um, his father's not in the picture, um, but thankfully I have... Um, a lot of support um, and including my family so when it comes to really thinking about mothering in academia or just mothering it's a whole you know it really does take a village um, for me so it's a whole different experience too because I was raised by a single parent um, who eventually got married and so I was lucky enough to have both parents um, in the household but definitely thinking about motherhood or being a mother was really it's been really tough because even though uh, my mom's, you know, married and he's amazing, he never treated me like a stepdaughter, I've always in my head, I'm like, I'm raised as a single, uh, with a single parent. That's how I see uh, parenthood um, and mothering. And it's really funny because even now, I'm putting some guys on the spotlight, but there's some guys trying to like get at me and I'm like, you don't get it. Like, I'm a single parent. I'm a mother of a child and my responsibility is to him and while yeah you can have fun for me this is fun um it was really difficult because he wasn't getting the fact that I was like if I come home like I just want to be with my kid like I'm not really out to be like engaging with another person so it just made me think because that's how my mom was my mom wasn't about like let me get in another relationship so I think mothering is very difficult sometimes because some people want to get that balance um, and I'm just like, well, my mom raised me, and I turned out fine. <laughs> I have a PhD. She's helped me through so much. I'm like, you know, that's that's mothering. Like, this is an extension of you. So mothering is like taking care of that extension of you, of uh, watering, you know, loving, caring for. And um, because I also commute for work, I'm like, it. I need to spend that time with him. So it's really interesting in my head to think about what mothering is, what uh, challenges I face. Aside from being a single parent, I'm also a woman of color. I'm a very highly educated woman of color, and sometimes academia is not kind to us. It's not welcoming to us. Um, so it adds to that sort of layer, right? And I had my son when I was finishing my PhD. So there was a lot of different transitions, and I think um, also being like a Latina and not a light-skinned Latina makes a difference. Um, 
mind you, my son looks exactly like me, and I've had people be like, oh, are you the nanny? I'm like, really? We're going to have... So those are just little small, right, examples, but those are things that I have to keep in my mind as I am mothering my son to be able to love and be kind um, to other people regardless of so many things. But I also have it in the back of my mind that I am a mother of a, a boy, a boy of color, right? And so I have to be really careful about that. Um, and what does that mean? Because he's not going to be treated the same. So there's different little layers about being a mother, right? And I was raised by a single parent who raised me really strong, but how do I raise a son who is strong, but then also has to be careful what that strength means for him? Wow, um, so much of what you said resonated with me, especially the part you said about the academy not being um, a friendly space for highly educated women of color, and I would say for mothers in general, uh, because to me, uh, my experience as a mother, what it means to be a mother to me, it means everything. Um, you might not be able to tell from looking at me, I'm mixed race, so my mom is white from Spain and my dad's Korean and um, I was raised primarily in Spain and so there's this notion that like you you become a mother I mean that it wasn't a question you you will have children because that's what adult women do and um, I, I kind of assume that but the Academy doesn't create space for that so I almost didn't become a mother I have one child um, and she is thanks to IVF but that child came about, you know, after six years of infertility treatments because I looked at the structure of the academy and I'm like, I, it's not safe for me to become a mother until I have tenure. And by the time I, had, I, got, I got tenure and hit 35 the same year, which, you know, ladies, biological clock, it's a thing. Your, your fertility really does start to decline and the academy and most workplaces are not set up to recognize that. So to me, being a mother means everything because um, for so many years I lived with, with you know, the fact that, that I wasn't and that I maybe would never be a mom. Um, so I think that's, you know, after having a child and mothering in the academy, again, not a welcoming place, um, but so important to me um, as a woman of color to um, not only, you know, be able to have my child, but to remain in the academy. So I'm really committed because, you know, again, as a mom, um, I feel like I'm my child's first role model and my child is a girl. Um, so I need to show her that it's possible and yet at the same time share the lessons, you know, I've picked up along the way um, that you can't, um, if, you, if, you play, if you play strictly by the rules, you might not get everything you want and that there are times when you, know, you need to disregard what everyone is telling you is like the safe, good path to follow. First get your career in check and then um, have a child because you know, the reality, at least in my experience, is that those two things are not always possible mm -hmm. um, and that no matter when you become a mother, if you're in the academy, you're going to have, you're going to have that struggle for balance and there is really no good time um, un until we change the structure of you know, what it means to be an academic and what it means to be a productive academic and what it means to be successful until we make room um, for you know, our structures to recognize the reality of women's experience and literally just women's biology, um, there's, just, there's never gonna be a good time when it's easy. So, um, yeah. Wow, um, gosh, that sounds like such a simple question, yet it's so complex because there are so many layers and all of our experiences, although we share a lot in common, um, our experiences are different. So what it means for me to be a mother, um, you know, it's the deepest, most profound love. 
it is, um, for me, has been beautifully challenging. Um, I'm a single mother raising two young men and a teenage daughter who is teaching me so much. <laughs> um, I think as, so I went back to school as an adult, so my experience going through the institution was unique and a little bit different. Um, I received a lot of support from my family so that I would be able to do this. I became the first in my family to um, earn a college degree, so that was um, that was amazing. Um, you know, it was was not really supposed to happen, um, but some way somehow it did, and and so I'm very proud of that um, because I share that with my family. Um, I also started um, grad school raising three children on my own, and that, um, gosh, I that has been one of the most difficult things I've done thus far, and um, and I'm not done yet. I've had to um, put some things on hold for my um, for my well-being um, because I can't. Be the best version of myself if I'm not if not if I'm not healthy or I'm not happy if I'm not feeling well. But um, but it's all good. <laughs> um, I think as my kids have gotten older, um, I've realized that they're their own sovereign beings and that I'm just blessed to be a part of their lives. Um, so um, yes, yeah, so many layers, um, so many layers, and. Um, and just maintaining that balance continues to be a challenge. And so um, the next question is like, now thinking explicitly on the revolutionary mothering piece, um, what are some examples of that within your own family or that we are currently maybe doing? And how are you intentional um, and is that problematic or do you teach, um, and how do you teach your children to be their authentic selves, agitators, advocates? Um, so if you haven't read the, the book, I've, I'm only halfway, so know that life is rough. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of um, points in there, like being very intentional or very, um, I don't want to say aesthetically, but like very like, oh, we went to marches and things like that. I actually don't go to marches. I don't do something like that because I have a, I, I, too many people, it's just I can't handle it. And I don't want to you know, put my kid through that. But I think my intentionality is when I had my baby shower, I was like, give me books. And I'm like, buy all of these others of color. Adding one Dr. Seuss, adding one the Disney. I was like, I don't care for those. And people were kind of like, oh, that's just like. But I was like, I have a kid whom, sadly, my, my doctor, who was Latina too, is um, his name is Joaquin with an X, right? And she's like, well, will they be able to say it? I'm like, they better, because by the time he starts school, we're going to be like 20 2019, 2020, I'm like, people better be able to say these things, like pronounce these things because California is changing this, and all these things. But I was very intentional in his name. I was very intentional um, in letting his hair grow. I'm very intentional um, in uh, the books that I read to him, although right now he's in love with dinosaurs, so that's kind of difficult. Uh, <laughs> you can't really culturally make those, right? But um, apparently the, they read dinosaurs and, and love with dinosaurs. They're pretty smart kids. So I believe that. But um, things like those, right? You can be intentional. Um, speaking to them in English and Spanish, um, just, um, you know, I am a very believer in college, and he has, like, Tease like Patricia also brought him from <laughs> Fresno State. Everybody, right? Um, 
college universities to be exposed to that, um, to be exposed to campuses. So that's intentional because he needs to realize, you know, I was at a conference and they asked this African-American president, you know, first president of color, I think, at this community college, like, you know, like, um, what is your experience or how do you... Um, not resist, but the challenges. He's like, my existence. We're not supposed to exist in certain spaces. So for us even to bring our kids to campus is like, yeah, it's on purpose because they're not supposed to be here, right? Or at least not with uh, women of color. Uh, men of color is like, oh, my God, you're so wonderful. White men, oh, my God, you're just the greatest dad. White women, oh, you're wonderful, too. But women of color, that's not okay for us. So, like, those are intentional things. I might not necessarily take him to uh, the marches or stuff like that, but I am intentional on what he's exposed to at home, what he's exposed to outside of that. Um, even things like going to local places rather than going to the fancy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Or even to the fast food places. Those are, like, intentional things. Things that we have to do um, and even with my family um, things like he, he picks up his stuff he's four I'm like he should be picking up and my having those gender things like my dad's like pero es you know he's a boy I'm like so like he better learn how to do this put his laundry where it's supposed to be and they're just like but he's four I'm like and so those are small things but they're very intentional in trying to create a human being that is going to be aware of, of one his privilege but also his responsibility at least in my head right um, and other things that you get, have to do in my opinion um, is like personal space I tried to teach him like if somebody doesn't want to be hugged then don't hug him if you don't want to be hugged don't you know, um, say, I don't want to be hugged, give them a handshake or power punch, whatever. But those are little small things that we have to intentionally do. So I love the book. I think it's a great book, but there's certain things like I'm not like full on like, oh, in my younger days I was. Now I have all kinds of like, <laughs> I'm so scared. Uh, <laughs> I get really claustrophobic. I think that's what it is. So, but you know, like going to do this, showing up, um, we actually got to speak for the immigrant families rally. Um, and we went and we spoke and he was like up there, he wanted to talk and I let him take that space too. Like this is who I am, right? But um, I try not to uh, remove him from things that I have to do. But I'm very intentional on the exposure that he has um, because he's very privileged as a young boy, but he's also has a lot of over like struggles and obstacles he's going to face as a young boy. So I'm very intentional in that. And I just don't also want to remove myself from doing things because uh, I have a son. I'm like, that makes no sense in my head. But um, I think from the book, that's a lot of things that I got that I don't have to be like, oh, I get showy, but I'm like, hey, these are the small things that we can do to uh, to really at least start having him think differently um, and move, you know, a little bit forward thinking, I guess, but also cre creating this responsible little young human. Um, and you know, I think it takes a lot, but um, I just tried to do it because I was like, uh, to me also culturally, I missed a lot, so it's really reinforcing those, those things for him. Okay, well, um, so with intentional mothering, I, I have tried very hard um, in mothering uh, my daughter to make sure she is aware of the fact that she's multiracial. Um, it's becoming, it's kind of challenging because she's white passing. My, my partner is, is a white man and the child looks basically just like him. Um, so, um, but, but part, of, part of it, it was important for me that she be aware and cognizant and, and it's part of her life. Um, so 
you know, I only speak to her in Spanish. Um, she, I won't answer her when she speaks to me in English. Um, and actually, for a while there, we had her convinced that I didn't speak any English. So when her dad would say something in English, she would turn around and translate for me. Um, those days are gone. Um, and, uh, you know, sent her to a bilingual preschool, made sure to get her into the dual language immersion program at the local public school. All of these things are really important. But also, at the same time, I'm, I'm Korean. And I felt like I missed out a lot on that. So I made sure she had all her celebrations. She has, you know, she has her traditional outfits. Um, and so there's a lot of work around language and culture and just being proud of who you are. And, um, you know, knowing that she is the child of an immigrant um, and that her grandparents are immigrants and her aunts are immigrants and sort of making her, because of all the things that have started to, started to come up, basically around the time she became aware of the world when she was four is when Donald Trump was elected. Um, so, you know, do a lot of work around that. The other thing that I really wanted to do, and I started planning on this when I found out I was having a girl, was work on gender, because I grew up in a very patriarchal family, in a very patriarchal system. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that none of the things that I pushed against in my house were things she had to push against. I'm going to give her, like, completely different traumas to tell her therapist about, but they will not be about gender roles and household divisions of labor. So um, I, I'm really lucky in that my partner was totally down with this. And so we literally, this man does more of the housework and more of the cooking than I do. And I'd say about 50% of the childcare. Um, and I like that. Um, she thinks I can't cook. And I totally love that because no, be because everywhere else she goes, she's she's getting the opposite message. And you know, here, here's your family, here are your parents, there's nothing wrong with a man doing his own laundry. Um, there is nothing wrong with, you know, like, it's like those dads who say they're babysitting. No, you're not babysitting. It's your kid. Um, <laughs> So um, that's my, a lot of my intentionality comes around that. Yeah. Wow. Um, yes and yes. <laughs> um, I'm very conscious about, um, about the sons that I'm raising that um, who's, um, you know, that someday they will become somebody's partner and what kind of men do I want them to grow up to be? Um, and it's hard, as, as Mariana had explained, you know, uh, as a single parent to do that. Lo mismo con mi hija, you know, um, you know, what kind of woman do I want her to grow up to be and what examples am I setting so that she moves forward with strength? Um, gosh, there's so many things that I want to say. Um, as far as um, what they have witnessed and how I've been intentional about the way I raise them. I think this experience of me um, returning to the university as an adult and then witnessing that um, has, for them to see me become politicized, I hope that they, that they pick up on those things. Um, you know, my children, especially my daughters at an age where it's just not cool to be around mom and mom is not cool at all you know, mom is, it's so uncool that mom is uh, the teacher or one of the teachers where she goes to school, you know, or that she attends. And so um, it's, it's been difficult, <laughs> um, but I think, I just hope and pray that um, as they witness me learn as well, um, that, that they're picking up on those things. Mariana, when you were mentioning about um, 
Joaquin, I call him baby X still, even though he's almost five. <laughs> or I think he's five. Yeah, anyway, he'll be five. Este, um, you know, my mom constantemente me dice, ayúdales a los niños a hacer esto, ayúdales a recoger esto, ayúdales a limpiar esto. And it's like, no, I'm not mom. This is something that they can do, that they should do. And one day they're going to move out and they need to be able to know how to handle the very basic things. Um, Another thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, we live in this world that is so patriarchal, right? And so how do we um, show our sons to be vulnerable, to, 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 to feel, to, to have emotions, um, and to express those? I think that has been one of the challenges for me with my sons, um, normalizing that. Um, not not so much with my daughter, but certainly with the boys. Um, so yeah. And then um, the next question is: What has your relationship been with your mother, mothers, oh. and or people who have mothered you? <laughs> and how does this differ, or is the same to your own mothering? Is there any traumas, healing you have identified that have come up for you, and has your mothering evolved through time? I know the deep one. <laughs> I know y'all. We have these questions, and we still are like, uh, la, la, la. Um, so, um, like I said, I was raised with a single parent who actually was raised by a single parent herself. Um, so I have generations of single parenthood. So when I knew I was going to be a single parent, it was like, eh. The first thing she said was, "Don't worry, um, don't put his last name because then he can't fight for your son because if he's not here for that, he shouldn't be here for anything else. I was like, okay. So my son has my last name. Um, so it's kind of interesting in that. But I think that also has different triggers um, because then I'm like, do, do I care? am I carrying my grandmother's last name and not like, right, um, her father's last name? So that's kind of like weird right um i personally removed my my um my sounds horrible the sperm donor's last name um my uh my birth father's last name she came back without my kid um, <laughs> uh, and uh, as i earned all my degrees i started to remove him i published without his last name but my mom's last name um at my new where i'm at now which is mendocino college i'm dr martinez not you know, like, so it just, I completely started to remove it. But I think those are things that my mom taught me uh, unintentionally. Um, she's always taught me to be tough no matter what, to hustle and not like to rip people off, but like always be aware of where where you are financially, who are your, your, your true people, like who they are or not. She's like, when they show you, just believe them and move, you know. You're, it's not about... Uh, necessarily always making friends. I know, I'm telling you. Um, you know, so it's, it's, she's been, she's, she's, um, I was with another friend and I told him, like, I know a lot of people with my mom, they call her Doña, like, which means, like, like, you know, it's like the highest, I guess, honor in my opinion. And they've always called her Doña. And I'm like, she is tough. She's everything you want. But at the end of the day, if you're hungry, if you need a place to sleep, if you need money, she will give it to you. And that has fallen. Like, that's something that I've learned um, from her. There is, 
I can be really tough even on my own kid, and those are things that I have to deal with because, like, you know, no crying. I wasn't allowed to, like, you don't do all these things because we don't have time. We don't have the energy, right? We don't, we just, we got to keep moving. Um, and I tried to take a step back because those are big things that you have to relearn. Like, okay, he's allowed to cry. He needs to have that comfort time. He needs to. So I think there's there's some things that are unconscious, but there's a lot of things that, you know, um, even parent, like mothering, like to to my mom, I need to everything to for my son. It's um, sometimes hard because people are like, oh, let's go out. I'm like, I can't. Like, I am his mom. After work is done, it is about being the mom. Um, and if you can't take him, then you shouldn't be going, <laughs> kind of thing, right? And and um, and I've learned because that's what she did. She had to. She sacrificed a lot. And even though they're there or whatever, they, my mom supports me. If if anything, that's related to my education and work. But outside of that, she's like, why you need that? <laughs> Right, I don't want another kid. I'm like, okay. I'm like, neither do I. So there's still like that in the back. So there's a lot of having to go back and forth with her about negotiating and rethinking. Like it's okay to to feel vulnerable. It's okay to take a day to just relax and enjoy yourself. Like, like you know, like in the back of my mind. Yeah, my kid is always in the back of my mind. It's not like not, but all of those things. So it becomes a um, sort of a mixed thing because I love her to death. I know what she's done for people and I know what she's sacrificed for me and then for my siblings as well. She's sacrificed the opportunity to have her own education, right? She's sacrificed her opportunity to be able to retire uh, already, like all of these things. So like, it's always a constant thing. Like, I don't want that to go through my son. And then how do I balance being her daughter and also being sort of an ally to her so that she can. But those things are something that within our family have never happened. So those are things that we have to, I have to challenge and, uh, and rethink because it makes me rethink what is a mother and what is, you know, what is um, the things that are right or wrong. But like I said, I know people sometimes are scared of her, but at the end of the day, I would want to grow up to be like her because she's been able to keep her sanity um, through so many things, right? And um, and even though she doesn't communicate, actually, I'll give you an example. One of the things that really hurt me because I didn't know how to deal with was postpartum depression. I didn't know that after my sister was born, she had it really bad. She had really bad depression. Um, she actually think that she was on medication, and I didn't know that. When I had my son, I had postpartum depression, but it, it just is like, it was a fog. But then I also had a couple tunnels, so I was dealing with that and all these things. And it just bothered me that she never told me till honestly, almost a year later that my son was born that she had dealt with, because I wasn't able to support her, and then I didn't know how to tell her that I was dealing with this. So there's things that it's really difficult as a mother, mother of color, mother, single parent, because you, you might know that you might be in academia, you might be all this highly educated, but there's things that you just wish that they would be more open about. Um, so I think I went all off the question, but I just want to say that I learned a lot from her, but there's a lot of things that we still have to learn from each other um, to be better. Um, I think for me, it's just better uh, person, better woman, um, because then that will trickle down to my son to being a better human being, less traumas, less time with the <laughs> with the shrink, hopefully. So, right, but those are things that we don't think about either. Like, you know, as women, we don't think like, oh, that, that might be something I'm dealing with, but then you don't have anybody to talk to about it because mm -hmm. in academia, we're like, oh, we're set, we, we should be rolling, but we're not. And we talk about it, we do research about it, but we don't deal with it, 
because we really do not know the signs, right? For me, it was like I'm in fog because I had a kid, right? And I'm just trying to put everything together. But the reality was that I was going through a lot of crap that I didn't, I couldn't pinpoint what it was. Okay, so my relationship with my mother. <clears throat> so how long do we have here? No, <laughs> no. Uh, my mom. Uh, my mom grew up. Um, in a very traditional household, and she was she got married um, when she was basically a child. She was 19 years old um, in the 70s in Spain. So she her entire identity as a person is wrapped up in being a mother. And one of the things that I've learned from my mother is the danger of that. Um, and she recognized, you know, the, the beauty of it is that at some point she recognized, you know, how limited her options had been. Um, and so part of the reason I have a PhD is that my mom pushed me, like whatever we wanted to do. And um, the rule in my parents' house was nobody here gets married until you have at least a master's degree. Um, because her thing was, when we moved to the United States um, in 1984, and um, my, my dad had a work visa, my mom did not want to come here. She didn't speak English, her entire family was you know, in another continent. She did not want to come. They almost got divorced, but she felt she had no choice because she couldn't see how she could you know, fi be financial, financially sustain us if she divorced my father because she had no education, no training, very, very few skills, and she's like, I'm not going to sacrifice my my child, my children's standard of living, I'm going to sacrifice myself instead. But after that, she was like, but I'm going to make damn sure that my daughters never have to do this. And so, um, you know, part of her mothering has been like, you know, the, and I'm part of the way my relationship has evolved. She's like, I am not going to let you make the same mistakes I made. Um, at least as far as this is concerned. You need to be able to stand on your own two feet always. Um, and everything else, you know, will follow from there. So um, that's one of the ways in which my relationship with my mother um, sort of has shaped me. Um, as far as dealing with trauma, because my mom's entire identity to this day is wrapped up in, you know, being a mom and now a grandma, um, it was always really important. It, it, I always felt the need that I needed to be happy and good, because um, otherwise she she would be she would be disappointed. Like, you know, it was this notion. There's like she would always say, "Yo solo lo, lo único que quiero es que seas feliz. I just want you to be happy." Um, and you know that's not possible. Um, so there was there was a lot of like uh, bearing of feelings and and feeling like you know my job as a daughter, if I was going to be a good daughter, I needed to be happy so that my mother would feel good about the job she was doing as a mother. And now that I have a child, I catch myself uh, where I'll be like, but, but why, why aren't you happy? You know, and, and it's like, no, 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 take a step back. You, know, you don't want to do this. It's a trauma that you're trying to address for yourself. So let's make sure we don't pass it on to the next generation. And it's like, look, look I'm your mother. I'm here to support you. I'm here to take care of you. Um, but at the end of the day, like you are entitled to your own feelings, and I need to take a step back and not see that as a reflection of, of who I am or the job I'm doing. So um, part of the challenge I deal with with mothering is sort of trying to make sure that, especially as a girl, she, she doesn't feel compelled to, to please other people by her behavior. And you know, if, 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 it, if her one, you know, if her relationship with her mother is based on the, I need to make my mom happy that she's doing a good job as my mother, then I have failed as a mother because, you know, my job is to just support her and lift her up. And it's like, you know, however you're feeling is fine and I'm still here for you and, you know, let's, let's just be together through whatever you're going through. So, yeah.
Okay, um, my relationship with my mother. Uh, my mom was born and raised in uh, Michoacan, in Mexico. Um, she came to the U.S. shortly after she married my father and after having two children. So um, she um, migrated to Los Angeles, where I was born a few years later. And uh, my mom, for um, her entire life since I can remember, was a homemaker. Um, and that was, that was a gift for us. Uh, but perhaps not so much of a gift for her um, because she devoted her life to us. Um, the few times that I do remember my mom working, it was, um, you know, like seasonal here and there, cleaning homes. Um, but for the most part, she never had the opportunity to become whatever it is that she wanted to become. To this day, I really don't even know because it's something that she has never um, discovered or um, felt that she could even begin to dream of. Um, my relationship with my mother growing up um, was rocky and difficult at times because she was very set in her ways of thinking and the way that she was raised. Um, I know that my mom also experienced many traumas back home in Mexico that she's carried that to this day she has not been able to unpack. And so that has been, um, difficult, um, to say the least. Um, as I've gotten older, though, I, um, I've become more understanding of, you know, why she says the things she says, whether I agree with her or not, or why she did some of the things that she did. Um, and at the root of it all, there has al it, it, it has always been love. Um, I've always known that my mother loved me, even if she showed it in like the most non-traditional ways. Um, I know she loves me, and I and I love her deeply, and I appreciate her deeply, um, and and we still struggle. There's you know there's a lot of things that she doesn't agree with, and I tell her you know mom, you know we can agree to disagree, and she's just baffled by that, um, because that's not anything that she would have ever been able to tell her her own mother, um, and so I I I'm very. Um, funny about how I pick and choose the things that I um, I will carry with me and pass on to my kids and the things that I absolutely won't, that it stops right there. Um, and so our relationship is still um, growing and evolving. And I think as she gets older and as I get older, you know, um, it, 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 it's getting stronger, but it, it, and it's looking different. Um, but I think we continue to, to grow um, and water and nourish our mother-daughter relationship. And so at this point, does anybody in the audience have any questions that they would like to ask the panelists? They were caught off guard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we might choose not to answer. <laughs> I'll have a question. I'm going to put the phone so you can okay. record it. Um, did any of you have um, like your par your mother specifically be the caretaker to your kids? Mm. Did you live with that situation, and how did you deal with it? Um, well, from they still are sort of. Um, my um, I live with my parents. Um, we all like hella traditional. Everybody lives in the house. 
We even built, I'm all, we even built an extra room uh, in the garage. So we all actually lived there. Um, and it's interesting because I think my, um, I mean, she's been amazing, but then she spoils my kid too much. And then they get fed up with him too much because he's always there, right? We're always there. Um, but I want to say that, yes, because since he was born and everything, and even right now that I commute, when I when I come home, he's with them for an hour and a half. And he's actually with my mom for, like, he won't leave her. Like, aside from me, um, it's like her. That That's his world. Um, my mom's been, even though I live with her, she's been kind enough. I went to uh, London and Turkey to do research, like, to present research. She didn't want to go with me. I told her to go. She so she stayed like 11 days with him and he was only he was a year and a few months um so and even right now like she doesn't want to leave cuz my dad's already retired but she doesn't want to leave until i have a closer job or a job where and i'm like i i have a job where i it's good money everything is just i have to come in there's no option and or i have to move and i don't want to move because i don't want them to lose their house so there's like this mutual thing happening where it's just like you know and people are like oh but you know but you're like grown i'm like you have a dog i'm like yeah but cost of living here is horrible and i don't want them to lose their house and i don't you know even to rent it out and i also don't want my siblings to be um left without a home because my brother was diagnosed with ms uh, in the last year and he's only 26 my sister works her butt off and i mean i give her props because she hates her job she really does. But um, she goes to it every day. And she, she can make, make ends meet. And it is not on her. It's on the way that it's structured right now for her. Right? So, um, and I don't want to do that to them. So um, I'm the oldest, if you haven't noticed. Um, so, um, and, you know, when I was growing up, my mom had to make some of those sacrifices. I stayed with my abuelita, white tias, blah, blah, blah. And so, but, you know, my, my kid loves her. And I don't think he knows any other way to, like, a family. Like, that's a family to him. He doesn't understand, like, I mean, I don't think he understands mommy and daddy and then everybody else, but he, he understands that his whole family is, like, he's like, they're my family, right? That, that's when I say, who's your family? He talks, all of them. Um, so it's really unique in that sense. And, yeah, I mean, she's cared for him and gives me all the, you know, non-Western medicine um, ways to cure my kid <laughs> that I'm just like, okay. Um, but, um, and she also reaffirms, though, that, Things like his height, his weight, blah, blah, blah. Like, it doesn't have to be certain norm. And I think that makes me feel better uh, as as a mom, even though she has her moments where I'm like, am I being a good mom? But I think her helping me is um, the most amazing thing in the world. And I'm really um, lucky um, and blessed because of that. And I don't think I would change it. Um, because otherwise, if I had been stuck with his dad, I think I would be in a, 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 a more messed up situation. And I think my son is better off the way he is right now. So, yes, uh, I have had my mother um, help. My mother does help with um, child care. She takes my daughter one day a week, the whole the whole day. Um, and that's when, you know, the cleaning gets done or the grading gets cut up on or, you know, whatever needs to happen. Um, so yeah, she, my mother continues to mother me um, by mothering my child um, every Sunday for the last going on to almost seven years. But there is some tension there, right? When when a relative, you know, when a grandparent is taking care of 
of, of your child, uh, it's, it's a little harder to set boundaries and barriers. And now, especially as she's getting older, we keep having these conversations. Uh, it was like, you know, these are not things that are acceptable for me that she has access to, so can you please not? Um, and um, I've, I've kind of accepted the fact that I just need to schedule one of these every, every three months, because that seems to be about as long as, like, it lasts, and then, you know, we're, we're back at it again. But, you know, um, eight hours of, of free child care, free high-quality child care um, a week, and, you know, at the end of the day, I want her... My my way is not the only way. It's not the right way. Um, there are there are lines where it's like you if you if you cross this line, it's all you know like we're gonna have words. Um, but yeah, yeah, my my mom's awesome that way. Yeah. Um, the question was if our mothers are are kids Okay. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, I'm in Tucson right now, and my kids are with my mom. And so there's a lot of things that um, would have been much more difficult for me to do and accomplish had I not had the support of my mother. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, as much as, you know, sometimes I don't agree with some of the things that she lets slide by, but you know what? When she's mothering my children, she's the one mothering my children. And I have very little say since I am not present. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think all, my kids have never, they don't even know what daycare, what a daycare center is because my mother has always been available to them. And so I think that's been a beautiful blessing um, for them, you know? Um, and, and Patricia, you're right. There's many other ways of doing it for my family, for my children. Uh, I believe in my corazón that it's been the, the best. So I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> we might hear this, so we don't know. I'm going to have her listen. <laughs> I like to add that even for caring, like, um, I drop off my son, my sister picks him up from daycare. So even my sister yeah. uh, unintentionally is getting um, to be this part. And it's funny because I would do that for them, right? Um, but unintentionally, and she goes on on whether or not vacation, they're conferences, but she goes, because my mom won't go, right? So we just went to Puerto Rico for a conference that I had to for, for work. I know, poor me. Um, so she'll go to that, and then I'll tell her, you have to pay me your airfare or whatever. She never pays me, but actually sometimes she does. But, uh, you know, those are things that even she's, she does um, with me. She'll take care of him. She'll, so even I think unintentionally for her, she's getting that mothering and being a mother without necessarily having... Um, and my kid is the only grandchild, I think. Is, he, is yours? No. No. She's but the mine, local one. In the local <laughs> Mine's, like, he's the only one. From my dad's side, from my mom's side. And so he's just loves it. But, um, but they all do it. Even my dad. Like, right now, he's already retired. And um, he was back for a while. He would care. Like, he, if my son didn't want me to take him to daycare and wanted to sleep in more, I'm like, Dad. And so he he would do it. Uh, but, yeah, like, they, it's a whole uh, everything. But they, they my mom has, and, my, and I think my mom has also let them know, like, this is our job. This is our responsibility as well. Um, so it, it helps a lot. And, you know, and, yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm just like, what, what? <laughs> like, he used to go to bed at 8.30. Like, to get him to bed by 10 is now, like, my goal because I left for too many days. And then it was, 
So, you know, uh, so there is consequences to, to that. Um, they party too much sometimes. Um, but it, it, the whole family does it, you know, and so it, I'm grateful for it. Is there any other questions? Don't be scared. We won't bite. Sorry. No worries. So my question is, do you guys or have you guys ever, and I'm sorry I was late, maybe you already addressed this, but like dealing with the complexity of trying to be the working mom and like full time and then me growing up with the full time mom at home, like being scared of how my daughter is going to turn out, like is it going to affect her that I'm not there you know, to raise her or like, yeah, so I recently went back to work too. So I'm like the guilt, you know, of leaving her and not not necessarily like taking care of her all 24-7. So it's funny you ask that question um, because my mom was a homemaker. She, I, I think she got a job working at a childcare center when my youngest sister was in high school, and she did that so she could be home after. Like by the by the time my sister came home from high school, she was there. So um, I do. Um, I've been lucky in that I've found some really amazing childcare places, but um, you know I have all this guilt about what I should be doing for my daughter and for my family that I'm not doing, um, partly because it's just not my bag, um, but primarily because I work full-time and commute. And so this morning I was making coffee and I dropped a spoon and I looked at the floor of my kitchen and saw under the stove and just literally just had like waves of shame. Like CPS is going to come. We live in squalor. This is disgusting. I am a bad mom and a bad person and my stove's going to catch on fire. That, that last part's probably not a lie. Um, so yeah, no, I do. I do because I was raised, you know, with a homemaker and the house was always clean and the clothes were always ready, like, you know, never digging through the laundry basket looking for the right t-shirt kind of thing. I did that on Friday. Um, so yeah, no, lots and lots of guilt. But, um, and I've talked to some of you, actually, I think it was Yolanda, when you went back to school, you're like, I can't do this, I can't balance it. And what I keep telling myself, and maybe this is a lie, is that she'll grow up with different expectations. You know, she didn't grow up with my mother, so she doesn't, maybe she, you know, she can grow up with a messy house. Not all houses look like House Beautiful. And more, I think I'm doing the work I do being a role model for her that, like, you don't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, not everything you do, you know, like, there, you don't have to meet this impossible standard both at work and at home and in your mothering. Uh, it's not possible. So that's the lie I tell myself when I look under my stove. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I went back to work, and he was almost four months. Um, so um, I didn't do official daycare. Uh, my uh, One of my closest friends and current um, compadre's mom took care of him. So he was in good hands. Did he? Is Was he going to get all of the right? No. Is he in preschool? No. Um, but can he go pee standing up on the toilet? Yes. So did I potty train him? No. Uh, my daycare provider potty trained him. Um, but you know what? I was raised with a single parent full time in extra work. And I, I, there was points where I regretted it and I told myself I didn't want to do that myself. Uh, but I'd rather do that myself than again be stuck in a situation I don't want to be in just because I need the help. Um, but you know, he has perks. At three months, he went to his first conference, right? He flew to Chicago with me and 
Remember? Yeah. We, we come. We, <laughs> that poor kid, though, he pooped all over the place in the plane, in the hotel. But I, yeah, poor, it was just like being the plane, and then you get all these anxieties that let's not talk about. But because um, the plane, yeah, that's a whole other story. But you know what? He's done that. We've gone on our family vacation that I never had with my family, with my mom, because of all those things. So there's a lot of perks I think in my opinion um, especially because you're able to afford to be able to do that with him I mean this kid's been to like Tulum okay like two years ago this last year he went to Puerto Rico we're going to Disneyland for freaking spring break so he's been to Colorado like he's been presenting with me different places right so he's very exposed to those things and I always like I try to remind him and as he's growing up I'm going to continue to remind him these are blessings that you have because your mom works because she has this opportunity so by extension you have this opportunity but it isn't you know um, for me I'm Again, I'm very grateful that my mom made the choice that she made. I'm glad that she raised me and, you know, she got very lucky with the partner that she currently has because I swear they are meant for each other. Um, They really are. I'm just like, uh. But if I were to get, you know, someone, I'm like, I want someone like, I want that relationship where she's still her independent self. And I think that's a beautiful thing for me. I'm like, I'm very independent. My priorities are this, and that's how, you know, I'm going to get there or whatever. So I think there's blessings in that. Of course, there's sacrifices. You kind of hate, uh, or I can't do sports. I can't do this because my parents can't pick me up, blah, blah, blah. But there's ways to uh, work around that. Um, like my kids must probably will do chess because I ain't got time to go to the games. Like, I'm not going to lie, right? But... Um, those are conversations that I'll have with him, and I'll see, and we will have to find our middle ground. But I honestly believe that I'm not saying you gotta be a hundred percent in everything, but as long as you are giving what you need to give to that part, you'll be fine. And your your children, I believe, will really see the plus size of it, and they'll remember. You know, they won't remember that maybe you came home late, blah blah blah, but they'll remember. Man, we went to like I was in the beach, I was in the pool, I was you know these things. Um, and I think those are beautiful things. And as always, you know, I make all the other time for him too. Like, you know, I hang out with him, I play with him. So it's just, but it's a, it's a big balance. But I don't I don't regret um, going back to work because I knew from the beginning, if if he could have the baby, I would be a hundred percent behind that. And I, if you wanted to stay at home, I'm like, honey, we are a great couple because I love to work. I love, and that's because of my mom. She taught me that too. It's like work, be your own, you know? So complete culture shift if we're Mexican, be like, eh. But I, I appreciate it. And then Yolanda? Yeah, because you, Yolanda, you went from being at home to like having to do the split, right? Yes, so, yes. So the question was around, I'm sorry, I could barely, it, around guilt, like when you go back to work? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to make a confession. My son's going to hear it 22 years later. He's going to find out. I couldn't wait to go to work after my firstborn. firstborn. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was so hard. It was so hard to stay at home. Um, and I say that lovingly and, and, and as honestly as possible. Um, it, it was challenging. The, the, the notion of, as a woman, it is in your DNA to want to stay home and, 
at that time, that's not exactly what I was experiencing with my firstborn. Um, um, so this guilt is, are we running out of time? No, you go. You go. Oh, okay. Go. Um, so I actually felt guilty with my firstborn because it was so hard that I wanted to go to work just to get a little break from it. Um, and I was also a very young mom. I was, I was 21 when my firstborn, when my first child was born. So I, I was still growing up. Um, with my other two, um, going back to work was a challenge, especially for my daughter. I had my daughter when I was uh, much older, um, and so I had gotten that experience from the boys. Um, and if I could have stayed home with Alyssa, I probably would have, um, but that was not a possibility. And so that juggling act of balancing, of being who I really am and being the best version for them, um, has always been a challenge. It continues to be a challenge. Every time I leave to go to, uh, even for a conference, that I always carry that little bit of guilt. Um, but know that this is also good for them to see me do all that I have been able to do and that I want to do. Is there, um, so we're going to wrap it up. So thank you so much for our listeners. You can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your PO. POC business, conference, event shoutouts, and listener letters. You can also record a listener message on the Anchor app and the way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at Chicana Code Switchers and Twitter X Code Switchers. And if you want to support this podcast, you can Venmo us at Chicana Code Switchers. Um, thank you all for tuning into this week's episode and until next time. <laughs>